Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Do you like cooking, reading about food, or even just eating? Then this podcast is for you. My co-host Charlotte and I work in the food industry. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, meeting the people who make it all happen, and showing you what's going on. Together, we'll bring you an inside view from the food industry with our unique perspectives from our work behind the scenes in food creation and production. Every week, along with our special guests, we'll cover different foodie topics, from baking to growing your own, home cooking, outdoor cooking, and even booze. Our aim is to take a positive look at what the nation is cooking and eating right now. There's so much adaptation, galvanization, and collaboration across the entire food system at the moment. And we'll be talking to some very special guests about the changes in their world, professional and personal, about remodeling, rethinking, and innovating with so much turned upside down and sharing some unique perspectives from field to fork. We'll also consider what food will look like in the future, in the home and outside. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores. Every week, our lucky listeners will be in with a chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show, along with some other exciting gifts. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. And I'm here with my co-host, Charlotte, award-winning cookery, writer, teacher and chef. For more on us, check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So, it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. This week we'll be talking about food and shopping. As the country's seeing a slight easing down of lockdown restrictions for now, we'll be finding out what shops are doing to prepare and what restaurant owners are setting up to make sure they can sell food without opening their doors to indoor seated customers. We'll be talking to the fantastic Freddie Bird, who talks about how he's quickly turned his business around to supply restaurant quality food and ingredients to people who can't currently eat in his Bristol restaurant, Little French. We'll hear from Anya Morris about what she's been doing to feed the people of Bristol, and also from Jennifer Middleton of Booth Supermarkets about food retail and what's happening on the shelves. Finally, in case this is the first episode you've listened to, we do like to say up front that we know the audio quality of our content isn't perfect and occasionally contains the odd glitch. This is due to the nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional Wi-Fi wobble. Finally, we have loved receiving your questions about cooking during COVID. And as always, there'll be more on that later in the show. So, Charlotte, how are you? Hi, Jules. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Pleased to say. Still very much same this week, really. I'm at home and a lot of the minor changes that we are seeing to our lives really aren't making much of a difference to the everyday here. So not much to report on that. It's really been a question of grappling with the situation work-wise really because uh, I think I mentioned last week you know it's a bit of a roller coaster for anyone who has their own business and it's certainly been a time for me to start thinking ahead and planning for when we do start to see some change whenever that will be feels like sort of baby steps towards that and I'm just spending time planning on what I can do when things start to reopen. Of course, we've got no dates, but I can just say, please do consider me when things open. You know, we're talking about restaurants, but I'm a caterer for events. And, you know, that's really on hold at the moment. People just don't know when that's going to open up. But I'm trying to have those conversations, you know, consider me <laughs> when you do open up. I mean, you know, that's the best we can do really, isn't it? So what about things like private parties? Is that the kind of thing you can cater for at the moment? Well, I have had a couple through and what I'm doing is I'm preparing things in advance and I'm delivering them. So whereas with a party, I'd be on site, I'd bring my team of staff. 
obviously that's not happening. But I have been speaking to my local environmental health department and actually businesses like mine are still able to produce food. There are lots of special guidelines they've introduced. So there's been quite a lot of reading to do. So there is work that can be done, but just in a totally different way. And of course, we are dealing with delivering food to households only rather than gatherings at the moment but hopefully there will be some changes soon I mean for example my father's 70th birthday is coming up soon you know I no idea what we're going to be able to do there if we can even see each other and I'm sure lots of families are thinking similar things at the moment Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that there might be some progress and people get in touch with Charlotte. If you think you might have a need for some private catering, I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you. And am I right that you've just had a terribly glamorous trip to the tip this morning? (laughs) Well, you're very kind. Thank you. Yes, I have. It's just open today and I spent best part of an hour queuing online to pre-book my slot, one of two a month. It's taken me over two hours. But I managed to get the job done and I have to say it was jolly efficient and well organised. So it's just good to see things like that starting to move in the right direction again. How are things in your world, Jules, this week? Well, I'm glad you got your glamorous outing to the tip done. <laughs> off the list. I have to say we've had an accumulation of stuff, as you do in a family of four, that we'd been meaning to get rid of for ages. And now the weather's a bit nicer. It was really starting to hog you know, around the side of the house and the garage. So we had to hire a skip last week. We weren't sure when the local tip was going to open. So that was very exciting. We had a skip come and go within 24 hours and take away a load of junk, which is great. Very impressive. What else has been happening? Well, I have to say we had a bit of a conversation with the children at the weekend as time is marching on and We are still getting fed up now and again of the restrictions on our lives. And the kids in particular were saying, I think you touched on this a few weeks ago, they were saying they don't feel like they've got anything to look forward to, not in a a life sense, but just in the current, current situation and the near future sense. And so I have declared International James Day on Saturday. Uh, That's my 12-year-old son, and he's allowed to give carte blanche on doing anything he would like to do, obviously within the limitations of what's allowed. And my daughter is having International Anna Day on Sunday. And we're going to just try and find some nice things that we can do. And I've said they can decide what we do and what we eat and all of that stuff and just make it a bit fun. And they have also yesterday both dyed their hair pink, which oh, <laughs> yeah, for people that know us, that's not a very us thing to do. But they've both been asking, nobody's going back to school in the near future. And so I had a good look on the shelves yesterday when I was in Sainsbury's doing my weekly shop to make sure I could find a semi-permanent pink, not a permanent pink, because that's definitely not something we need in our lives. And they were under strict instructions not to dye the bathroom pink, and off they went. And uh, a small amount of mess later, they've both emerged with pink hair. So that's what's (laughs) happening in my house. So enough of pink hair. Let's get on to this week's episode about food and shopping. How are you finding food shopping these days, Charlotte? Are you able to get more of what you need? Yeah, it's definitely evened out a lot, although I am finding it still patchy. And whilst the supply is greatly improved, I'm finding that my shopping is really based around whatever I can get which is fine. You know, I cook, so I'm quite happy to wander around without a list and pick up whatever looks good. And still no flour and still no yeast. Oh, interesting. I found flour in Sainsbury's this week. That was the first time, plain flour, the first time I've seen that, a random brand that I've never heard of, but obviously they're getting through the supply chain. So that's positive. And actually I've seen some Sainsbury's online delivery slots opening up. My neighbour said that she had got one and I had a look on the website and that does seem to be happening. So that definitely feels like progress and just anything we can do as a nation to get people able to buy their groceries has got to be a good thing. So let's talk about the shopping episode. We've got some really great guests. The first person we're going to talk to this week is Freddie Bird. So let's hear what Freddie had to say. 
Freddie Bird is a chef and restaurateur. Freddie is one of Bristol's best-known chefs. He spent a decade as head chef at much-loved Bristol Lido and later Thames Lido in Reading. Freddie went to Ballymaloo in East Cork and later spent time travelling around the Mediterranean. These experiences have somewhat shaped his cooking, along with his wife Nessa, who grew up in Vosges in France. Together, they opened their own restaurant in Bristol, Little French, last July, to glowing reviews. Little French has been quick to adapt its business model as the crisis hit, and they are using their buying power to turn the restaurant from a small but successful neighbourhood bistro into a grocery shop, selling its interesting and not-so-easy-to-find produce and top wines from their much-loved wine list direct to customers to take away six days a week. Freddie Bird, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thanks very much, Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining us, Freddie. I'm sure it's a very busy time for you at the moment. So I also went to Ballymaloo in Ireland and loved every minute of it there, but I didn't envisage my life and food becoming so different in recent weeks, and I'm sure you didn't either. So what have been the main changes since the crisis hit? Well, I think it was the Friday before we were told to shut down that lunch. I said, look, we'll do the lunch service and close down. And God, we're eight months in and the, you know, we went from employing 22 people to having to furlough everybody. I mean, I set out to, with the, you know, the idea of having a, a six-man restaurant and it turned into this beast and it was wonderful and great fun and still this neighbourhood restaurant. But all of a sudden, you know, this idea we were taking bookings every day, our bookings were swelling and we just said, look, we've got to shut this down quickly now. I'm now a shopkeeper, a solo shopkeeper on my own in an empty restaurant, tables and chairs removed. And it's a very different existence. I've got uh, evenings off, but I'm, I'm working flat out. I'm beginning to see what it's like to be on life on the other side if you like and to be a to be a supplier rather than rather than a customer i mean you only opened last july and i have to say i've been hoping to visit but i haven't been able to get a table every time i'm trying to phone up so how have you managed everything over the last few weeks you mentioned your hours have really changed it's been a learning curve. I'm still, I mean, I'm trying to put things online. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who has shunned technology and I'm now having to embrace technology probably like the rest of the world at the moment. And I, I suppose I'm learning how to, you know, it's the first time I meet, I'm customer facing, which has been really, really lovely. I'm meeting my customers and meeting the locals for the first time. And that's been, I think you, you assume you know your customers just because you cook for them, but actually meeting them face to face and seeing them has been a real change and really starting to understand people's tastes and habits. And I think probably... What I'll take away from this, I'll learn, you know, when we do return to whatever normal is going to become, I think I'll probably understand our customers a lot more. That is so interesting. So can you tell us a bit about what you're selling and how that's working? And is it just, you know, turn up and pick up supplies or can people pre-order? And how have you and your suppliers managed to work together to form a viable solution, really? We're doing boxes, basically. We started, well, we started off with the idea, my butcher, actually, I spoke to him. He said, I've got, I've got 300, pounds worth of beef sitting in a fridge, dry aging, and he's selling tens of thousands of pounds a week, and he'll have up to, you know, be aging it for 50 or 60 days. So you can imagine the volume. And he said, it's gone, it's dried up, but I've just got, and I thought, Oh my goodness. I said, well, I'll sell it. Let me see if I can, what can I do for you to try and keep you moving, keep cash going through your business, will be in a very small way. I said, it'll help me. I can put some cash through my business. And I said, we can get your product to my customers. And so we started, I said, right, let's do a meat box. And I said, well, I called my veg man. I said, let's do a veg box. And they were all sitting on wonderful produce. And to start with, it was this wonderfully abundant. Everything was there. Whatever you wanted, you could get hold of. And then very quickly, things changed. So I started off with sort of, with ideas of, you know, it was all very thought out and we we're going to be able to do recipe boxes and all sorts. Reality struck. And I thought, well, actually, I can't get this. And I can't get that. And this isn't easy to get hold of. And that's going to change. So I said, right, let's just do the best ingredients we can do. We'll put them into a box, always to the value of X amount. And we'll supply that to our customers and they can become more creative and a bit more inventive with their cooking and with their shopping. And so we, they say to me, what's in the box? I say, no idea. I said, it's a, the fish box tomorrow's off tomorrow morning's fish market. I don't know what they're going to catch. You know, it's a surprise. And actually it's been really good. And, and, and as a result, a lot of repeat custom and people saying they've pushed themselves a little bit. The other mad thing is, is the amount of flour I'm selling. On a, I mean, we are one shop, if you like, in amongst however many other shops. And we are selling three, 400 kilos of flour a day sometimes. No! And I'm not joking, sacks. I, I bought a pallet, 
bought 1500 kilos of Shipton Mill in sacks the other day. Everyone's a baker. They're all bringing me in photographs of their bread that they're cooking, asking me for tips. And we're offering food, we're offering recipe advice. I'm offering what I'm also offering is what I wanted to do really good value, really high quality, and kind of draw people away from supermarkets. And hopefully, that they'll look at it and go, I'd rather be moving away from the supermarkets in the future as well. And now people are saying, please, when this is all over, will you still do this? And that's been a really nice thing. That's really interesting because I think one of the things that I've seen that you're doing that's particularly special is selling ingredients that are not all that easy for customers to find normally. No, I mean, it's, I went to the supermarket yesterday for the first time in eight weeks. So even pre-lockdown, I hadn't been for three weeks. So I, I think everything's accessible. But it's amazing that people are coming in and they're saying, can I buy your lamb sweetbreads? Can I buy your Iberico pluma? Can I buy, you know, when I put lobsters and crabs on, there was, I had a guy, he had, he had about a thousand lobsters that he needed to sell. He said, look, I've got them in tanks. He said, they're in great condition, but I need a market. I started putting them out there. I didn't sell a thousand, of course, but I sold. I was, the phone was off, ringing off the hook. And the, the wonderful thing is social media for us in this case has worked so well. We can put a picture out there. We can, we've got 5,000 followers and having that many and a lot of them local it's a marketplace straight away for us and people jump on so people come and say can we buy some yeast we say well i've only got fresh yeast and they look at you in terror and now they come in and they say my friends say you've got fresh yeast this is the place to come for fresh yeast (laughs) all of a sudden they're experts in 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 everything and that's been really that's been fun and people are you know what was one of our boxes our boxes of of vegetables people say well what's a kohlrabi what's this or what's that you know they're not and, and they're saying well i'll go and i'll look up some recipes and some ideas and they come back and say that was that was exciting what's in the next box actually don't worry it doesn't matter we'll work it out as we go along that's a whole new way for people to be cooking themselves isn't it because eating in is the new going out and we are now our own restaurants as well as our day-to-day family and home cooks it's such a genius idea what you've done and it's the speed of the pivoting, isn't it? You know, one day you're running a business that's one thing and then you immediately have to find a completely new way of doing something completely different. And something that I found, especially at the very beginning in the food industry, was the spirit of collaboration. So I supply major retailers. It's a really cutthroat, competitive industry It's not the funnest, friendliest, you know, we collaborate with other brands, but there hasn't ever been that sort of warmth, the feeling of we're all in it together. And suddenly it is completely different. How can I help you? Oh, you want to help me? That's brilliant. Let's all help each other. It's a really interesting new psychology of of the way people in the industry are dealing with each other. Absolutely. And the other thing is we're doing this and people know that, you know, things like with cash flow is an issue. So they're saying, look, I've had suppliers give me fridges so I can hold their stock and sell their stock on a sale or return basis. So if I can't shift something, say, don't worry about that. Tell you what, I've got a better chance of selling it if you're holding it whether it's wine, whether it's not lobsters, not live animals, but if it's charcuterie, whether it's anything that I can hold, they're saying no worries. And they're, they're turning up in their vans, dropping off fridges and freezers and storing in that. So I, mean, my, my, I resemble some kind of, it's like some kind of shanty town of fridges in my restaurant at the moment. But it's, people are really collaborating. And I think at the beginning, even when we were all terrified, I go, what's going to happen? What's, before there was any financial talk of financial support or whatever it was that was going on, it was, we were all in, in fear. How, how long are we going to survive? Are we going to be able to pay our bills? Even at that point, people were saying, I've got this, look, do you know what? This is short dated. I'll give it to you. You can sell it cheap. And if you can make a few pennies, then that's wonderful. And they know that means I'm going to pay my, my February bill or my March bill because there's some, some cash going through the business. But it was, what can we do to help? And customers are saying, we want to come to you. I've been to Waitrose this morning or I've been to Sainsbury's, but I didn't buy this because I knew you sold it. So I thought I'd come to see you afterwards. I'd and stand and walk you. People will support that. And yeah. also there'll be a legacy. I'm quite sure there'll be a legacy of, you know, looking back at, at how did you behave during this time? How did you as a business behave? This is how I feel. And you'll be remembered for what you did. And, you know, you're helping people like that butcher. Imagine if he'd had to throw away all of that meat. What else was he going to do with it? He's probably massively grateful and and always will be. And your customers on the other side are grateful that that you're doing this and that they'll take things. And suppliers are offering things in a sale or return business, which six months ago, they'd have been like, no, we don't do that. Now they're doing it. And it's just a whole new different way 
of feeding people. And it's about keeping people fed, isn't it? Keeping our businesses going, but keeping people fed because without yeah. people doing these things, then, you know, these shortages and spikes and peaks and troughs in the supply chain were just ridiculous and unsustainable. So thank goodness for people doing exciting and different things and finding a whole new world to operate in. It's brilliant. I love it. So what was your life like before, Freddie? What would you get up and do of a day? You'd wake up in the morning and where would you go and what would you do? And, and how is it now? I was early, super early start. So I was always, always like to be in early on my own at sort of seven o'clock in the morning. I'd like to be up at the restaurant before anyone else was there. I'd like a bit of time to talk to my suppliers. And I've still got that. It's just a little bit earlier than usual now. I, you know, I'm on the phone at five sometimes having a chat with suppliers. And my days, you know, rather than finishing at midnight, my days are finishing at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a few <laughs> things to do afterwards. And so my days are starting. You know, I, you know, I used to be in, I'd be in there baking the bread. I'd be just sort of getting myself ready for the day, putting some music on and, and starting to cook on my own before my crew come in. And then I'd be on the stoves, lunch and dinner, five, six days a week. And then... Now I'm in, I, I set up and take down my shop from scratch every day, seeing as I, you know, I need to lock everything securely. So I've got, you know, I don't, I don't have a shop window. I've got a, a thin restaurant window. So, you know, for me, I have to put things up and take things down. So it's a lot of lugging things around. I'm on my own. I've got no team. It is just me. And so, yeah, my, my days are different, but they're fun. And I, you know, I, I see me doing this on the other side as well. It's a new thing. I've learned, I'm learning new skills. I'm, like I said, meeting my customers. I've had to adjust the way I talk in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Chef and kitchen life. It's not the same banter with customers as it is. Yes, quite. Censored. (laughs) One of the main changes. I've become a lot politer. (laughs) Well, it's really interesting as well, just thinking about your, talking about your customers, because I imagine what you're doing is not only keeping in touch with customers who want to support the business and have loved eating with you but you are building new customers who hopefully you'll be able to take with you after this i think so I mean, it's been because i was getting people I was, i'm taking everyone's postcodes as i take their orders to take payment and people were giving me postcodes from stroud from and i said it's not really very local actually i've got a call from from this one lady saying actually i can't drive down the police are telling me i'm not allowed to i was like well yeah that's kind of kind of right <laughs> i said it's meant to be local local shopping but i was amazed at how far this was going and people who were fed up with you know queuing for the monday they go they'll go and do the supermarkets because it's easy on a daily life but when it's not easy you think more about it. I'm not going to queue for that quality. I'm not going to queue for these things. I want something exciting on the other side of this. I want something interesting. And so it's funny how using definitely social media, but just word of mouth and lots of people, oh, I've heard rumours from so-and-so that you've got this. And all of a sudden, I'm in everybody's WhatsApp groups for their roads. And, you know, my mum's my telling me, you know, in one part of Bristol, so-and-so saying this, and another friend will say, oh, you're on my WhatsApp group. But, you know, everyone's, I think there's another one called Next Door, and they're all passing these messages around. And it's been the best advertising I think the restaurant could probably have. And also we're keeping ourselves in people's minds as well. So, I mean, we were a new business. We were riding a small sort of crest of publicity and all that sort of thing. And, and my big fear is on the other side of this that, we'd be forgotten and the next person will come in and we won't have had long enough to establish ourselves. But what we've done is we've kept ourselves in their minds. But also at the same time, I think we're also providing a bit of a service that people won't forget. And, you know, I, I think when people said, oh, shopkeepers are on the front line, if you like, in inverted commas, you know, albeit in a slightly, you know, we're here, I'm selfishly, not, not selfishly, I'm just trying to pay the bills and keep things going and not, you know, we're not doing great things. But you are potentially putting yourselves at risk by that constant contact meeting so many people all of the time and i didn't really you know people be bringing me presents they've been bringing me tea to say thank you or bringing me you know cakes that their daughters have baked or kamarthen ham this morning or whatever it might be people and it's like oh it's who you are you're in people's yeah people i've never met before and that's been a really positive thing I'm seeing a lot of that. Our local village shop, the owner is posting, oh, somebody's given me chocolate, somebody's given me wine. And I think people do appreciate that frontline responsibility and risk that, you know, this is a crazy world. And much as it's lovely that, you know, build it and they will come and you have and they are, there is an element of risk to that. And people are just so incredibly grateful and aware of that. And it's it's just a whole new world. But talking of things being different, what's it like being at home for family dinners every night rather than off out cooking in the kitchen? Life must be quite different on that side. 
It's lovely. Do you know what? It's the one thing. We always sit down together when we're around. So whatever, but I'm not always. And that's been not access to normal stuff. My son, who's six, who was super fussy. It had to be beige, preferably in breadcrumbs. You know, it was whilst my daughters were quite happily scoffing olives and anchovies and capers age two. He was not. It was if he could eat chips, that would be it. He's now excited when I bring home sort of big beef tomatoes or, you know, big cut of birth store. He's excited about so many different ingredients because he's kind of been pushed into this thing. We're all eating more sort of, you know, we're saying, well, actually, Gabe, there are no fish fingers, mate. You can't have them. <laughs> Today it's tomato salad and burrata because that's what I can get from my supplies. It's this panicked look and now it's, oh, I'm so excited. And we sit down and, and eat properly and talk lots together. So that's been, I know them more and more. You know, I used to come home and they'd grown up and changed because you only see them once a week. And now it's seeing them every day. It's a real, a real joy. That's lovely. And that's a massive parenting win. As a mother of a fussy son, I can absolutely, I'm with you on that one. And funnily enough, we said to my 15-year-old daughter today, you know, over to you to make dinner tonight. What would you like to make? You get the recipe books out and choose something. And she's gone to a French cookery book. She's very classy. And she's found a chicken chasseur recipe. And my son is immediately the panic in the eyes. Oh, what's that? What's in it? Because it's not fish fingers or whatever. And not the things that we just get so in the rut, don't we, with cooking the usual things because that's what you get. And she very patiently, much more patient than I would be, sat and went through the recipe. Well, there's this, but we'll take that out for you. And this, well, you like that, don't you? And these herbs and that's chicken. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, actually, that sounds really nice. And it is, it's a new way of this is what there is. This is what you're going to have. And there ain't no other choice. It's great. And we're all around at the same time. The kids, so it used to be that one was off volunteering at the food bank, another one's playing hockey, another one's playing rugby. He's around it like, right, you have that now, you have that now, we'll eat later. So you were cooking four or five meals a day. And it, as a result, yeah. you weren't really focusing on like what was quick and easy. Now it's one pot wonders that you all sit around and share at the table and that's been the number of people who said that to me as well that there's real family time that's come of this and it's amazing you know they're not watching on top of it all they they watch less telly they're bored of it they don't want to do it they're Mm -hmm. finding so much entertainment and they're all cooking and they're they're all baking that's where the flour is they're all making (laughs) i have no idea what banana bread this banana bread nonsense is about But everyone's making banana bread. There'll be a shortage of bananas soon. Absolutely. It's brilliant. It is bringing the love back. And that is definitely a positive. And we like to look on the positive in this podcast. So, Freddie, three things at the end of all of this that you are really looking forward to whenever it's over, in whatever shape that is. What are you missing? And what would you really like to be able to do again? Nothing to do with food. I'm missing hugs. Hugs are good. Just not being able to hug your mates and see them. That's probably the first one. I can't wait to go and eat out and sit around a table with friends. And what else? What I'm not looking forward to is the busy roads and the busy... I'm really loving that. There's so many wonderful things that I'm enjoying as part of this thing. So it's, yeah, it's seeing friends and family, getting hugs, sitting down, eating and drinking. And... I know I probably shouldn't say it, travel. I want to get, you know, it'd be an aeroplane, I'm sure. It probably shouldn't be, but, you know, that's the reality is the thought of being able to get away. Not knowing when we can get away next is a real sort of bother to me, especially we've got family abroad. So for us to go and visit, visit family in France, that'd be a good one as well. Well, they sound like lovely things to look forward to. And one day it shall come, I'm sure. Well, listen, amazing work. I take my hat off to you. Becoming a retailer almost overnight, huge, huge kudos, absolutely fantastic. It's the reputation precedes you what you're doing. Everybody's loving it. Great job. Stay well, stay safe. And thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you. Well, as a business owner, I can only marvel at how quickly Freddie managed to turn around his offering. And what a great idea to support other local businesses as well. Good for him. Absolutely. And next, we're speaking to the wonderful Anya Morris. Anya Morris is the name behind some of the most high-profile and progressive food events in the UK. Most recently, Anya was the director of Abergavenny Food Festival, which is one of the UK's most important and loved food festivals. Before that, she worked as a director for Bristol Food Connections. Anya not only has a wealth of experience as the organiser of major food events, but she is a huge champion of better food systems. 
She studied at the University of Gastronomic Sciences, an Italian university that sets up their graduates to create a sustainable future for the planet through food production, distribution and consumption. Anya has extensive experience working with Slow Food and the Sustainable Food Trust. Her latest project is the Bristol Food Union, which has been a monumental project bringing together the diverse but vibrant food community in Bristol to feed the city and mitigating the economic impact of COVID-19 on farmers, food producers and restaurants. Their website sums it up, helping our food community to survive this crisis is essential and immediate work. Many are not going to make it. Our nation's food security matters now more than ever. We cannot afford to lose them. Anya Morris, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hi, Charlotte. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. Thanks for joining us. Anya, tell us about the work you're doing in Bristol and what's it been like setting it all up? We were supposed to be launching a new craft food market uh, with Freddie Bird up at Little French. And obviously, within a very short period of time, all of my day-to-day work came to a halt or was postponed for another another time or another year. Um, and at the same time, there was a group of uh, Bristol's independent restaurants and restaurateurs, um, uh, and they were realising the extent of the financial crisis that they were in as well. Um, and so on Tuesday, the 17th of March, there was a meeting held at the Kensington Arms in Bristol, largely amongst a group of us who knew each other because we'd all been to Nepal in 2018 for action against hunger um, and as is the way when you take on a challenge which pulls you out of your comfort zone and puts you in difficult situations you build relationships very quickly under those circumstances and, and the strength of those relationships is quite strong um, so when everyone became deeply concerned that you know we were facing bankruptcy really across the board uh, we all got it together for a conversation about what we could do um, And what became very, very clear was that quickly there was going to be need, there was going to need to be a way to galvanise public support and direct the public to take action in support of Bristol food businesses um, and the independent food community. Um, And so we started to think, how, how might we go about doing that really? So Bristol Food Union aims to achieve four distinct things or four different areas of work. The first is that we've got the Shop Bristol Food section of the website. And this aims to be a real-time map of everybody who is still open doing uh, delivery to your door or offering takeaway or food retail options. And that's continually growing and changing. So last week, we've seen a lot of the drinks companies coming back online now that they've figured out their online and retail offers and so the drinks category has suddenly exploded in the last week and so that was really about creating a website where everybody who was still open farmers who you could buy from directly people who would deliver safely to your door had a channel to get that information out to the public how would the produce then get to your home Nothing to do with the food union. So um, what the food union does is list everybody who is currently open. Um, uh, We include their website, we include their opening hours and contact details, but anything to do with placing orders and having those orders delivered to you is run by the companies themselves who are listed. And is it only for residents within a Bristol area or are these companies delivering nationwide? It's a complete range. So our our main focus is communicating those in and around the Bristol area to the Bristol community. Um, uh, But we have started to include in particular um, uh, some of the companies who are delivering nationally. So, for example, Neil Neil Yard's Dairy... Neil's Yard. Yard. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Neil's Yard Dairy's Great British Cheese campaign, for example, Mm. we are promoting through the website because you can order that from anywhere and have it delivered anywhere. So the focus for us was really about profiling the independent, ethical, craft British food producers who needed to maintain retail sales as a matter of urgency. So that was that was That was one, Shop Bristol Food. Two was Feed the Frontline. um, And that was our short-term immediate crisis response to what was happening. A lot of restaurants and chefs were launching campaigns around NHS workers. And we wanted to make sure that we um, had the freedom to feed the whole of the frontline. So yes, we're feeding frontline workers. 
but we are also feeding health and social care workers, janitors, cleaners, uh, the homeless, vulnerable communities, people who can't access food, because we felt it was really important that for the a lot of the NHS, there is an issue around time and access. They arrive on a ward, they spend 16 hours on that ward, they don't have time to stop to go downstairs and grab something to eat or even to get a cup of coffee sometimes, or there's only one shop open on the whole of the hospital site and the only food they can access is junk food and they're desperate for something nutritious and some fruit for breakfast for example. Great so number three what's that? Number three was the Bristol Food Fund. So we launched a Bristol Food Fund um, with a view to being able to make micro grants a little bit further down the line uh, to the food producing businesses that need them most. Because I think what we were becoming aware of very quickly was that government support was being announced, but that support was largely insufficient for restaurants in particular that were going to be closed for more than about four to six weeks. Cash flow wise, there was just um, the the money on offer was just not going to cut the mustard essentially and number four number four was about staying informed so number four in its most basic way was about getting people to sign up to a newsletter we're offering both a public newsletter and an industry newsletter Um, and uh, number four really incorporates all the activities you're seeing us do on social media so uh, stay informed understand how things are developing understand the issues that the Bristol food community are facing it's not just about the restaurants and chefs it's about their suppliers the farmers the food producers we need to get a land army onto the land to help get crops out and in we need pickers as a matter of urgency um it might be supporting by spending your money with a Bristol independent. It might be making a donation. Uh, it might be getting online and, and accessing some uh, YouTube content of cooking tutorials and starting to teach yourself how to cook. And we just, there was public engagement and uh, developing public demand for good food was always at the very heart of, of, of certainly my thinking behind the project. And we, anyone who's interested can go to Bristol for- foodunion.org for yes. more information on that information. and everything you're doing more information at bristolfoodunion.org we will Brilliant. put that link on our website that sounds like an amazing project Thanks. so Anya at some point all of this will in some shape or form be over what are you looking forward to when this uh, when we get to the new new what are you missing what were you looking forward to I'm looking forward to my children going back to school <laughs> <laughs> allowed to say that um uh there's loads of things i'm looking forward to um uh i've realized how what i'm i'm a hugger i'm really struggling with meeting people and not automatically going to shake their hand or going i mean i just i seem to be struggling to get it into my brain that you now have to not do that it's automatic for me um, and I find it very odd to live in a world where um, it's not socially acceptable to be you know friendly and, and say hello to people so I'm very much looking forward to being able to do that again um, obviously I miss restaurants I'm, 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 I realise how much of my time I did actually spend in them I'm very much looking forward to being able to go and sit up at Little French and have a glass of wine with my friends and enjoy a nibble in the restaurant um, I, I struggle a little bit with the question of um, what will you do when this all goes back to normal? Because I think for me, what I'm really clear about is we're, we're not going to go back to normal. For, 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 for me and what I think is underpinning this food union, food union idea is that um, uh, coronavirus is a, is a short-term health crisis, but it's the first wave of what is going to be a much longer-term and more significant climate crisis. And the climate crisis is going to have a huge impact on our food supply systems. And we do need to be building models that are resilient and food secure and can feed people locally to them. Um, and so really that's the long-term vision with the food union is we need to create an alternative food ecosystem one that local residents can rely on to get food, access food well. Um, uh, and so this is the beginning of something that actually the, the demand and the need for it is only going to grow over time as opposed to um, 
the certainly the restaurant and hospitality industry going back to normal i i have several chefs in the in the group in bristol and they might own three four five restaurants in each of the group and they're already very clear that they might be able to open one out of four or one out wow. of five wow. it's just not the case with restaurants and hospitality that in six weeks time doors will open everyone will go back to normal and things are going to be okay i think the industry is going to be in serious and significant crisis for quite some time and yeah I, I is... want to talk about the margins in hospitality and how there <laughs> haven't been any for years but I think it's enough it's enough it's enough well it is absolutely extraordinary Anya what you and your team have all managed to achieve and realize over the last few weeks it is truly inspiring and we wish you every success with it and your fundraising and I personally hope that this is a story of inspiration that others might wish to think about in other places as well, further afield than Bristol. So it's hats off to you, Anya. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. And now let's meet our final guest of the week from Booths, Jennifer Middleton. Jennifer Middleton runs Lemon Zest, a PR business that supports farmers, independent retailers and producers. Jennifer has worked closely with Booths for almost a decade. Booths is a family-owned food retailer based in northwest England. They have 28 supermarkets spread across the region. Founded in 1847, it is still owned and run by the Booths family. Booths manages to successfully combine retailing everyday ingredients alongside special and unique artisan products. They sell supermarket staples and a very wide range of quality food and drink from independent producers and their network of regional farmers. Jennifer Middleton, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Well, we're so thrilled that you're here with us. Thank you ever so much. Jennifer, it's been a huge period of change and challenges for food retailers since late February. And we all know there have been huge issues managing unprecedented spikes in demand and indeed the very way we are able to shop for our food. We've also seen supermarket staff valued and appreciated like never before. What experiences stand out most looking back over the last three months? Well, you know, it's been challenging, but it's also been quite liberating. And I'd like to pay tribute to my colleagues at Booths, and that's from from everybody from the the shop floor to Nigel Murray, who has been a, a tremendous leader. Booths have coped enormously well with the multitude of challenges. They've been there for their customers, and they've been there for their colleagues. And there's a real kind of pull together can-do spirit about the business. But the challenges have just been so significant from panic buying at the beginning. And it's almost like we've we've got a new exam question every day that there's another, another challenge and another change to how we shop. And so they've had to be very swift, very quick on their feet and very flexible, but also remember that they're a family business and Family businesses behave like families and they look after each other. And that means looking after not only the people that are serving, make sure that they're safe on the shop floor, but the wider extended family that extends to our suppliers. Well, that's really interesting. You mention so many things going on there. And in terms of what's going on in the supply chain, that's obviously been hugely complex and a very, very fast evolving situation. In episode four, we talked about farming and food production and how that's coping. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about how and what has been happening with your suppliers and producers through this? You've obviously got a very unique network. What What's the picture been like? When the, the initial C19 crisis hit, you know, there were a number of buying patterns that changed quite rapidly. So at the start of it... There was the panic buying over cleaning liquid in toilet paper. And then the following week, it was fresh food. People were, you know, really stockpiling fresh food. Then it was tinned food. And then there was the weekend before lockdown where we just had a huge spike in license sales. So it's the people that forecast, you know, what goes on the shelves have just had an enormous challenge to really 
make sure that we have good availability. And as they've been able to cope with that availability, they've really kind of found a groove and then there'll be another thing. But the most important thing is booths have close and appreciable links with their supply chain. Many of the suppliers have been supplying booths for decades and actually have generations of relationships. So the relationship between the supplier and booths are really kind of part of our extended family. And they work so closely with them that when we hear that maybe these particularly the smaller businesses like the artisan cheesemakers or or a fish supplier, we work with, because we're an independent retailer, our partners are, are often small family businesses. And many of them also serve the catering and the restaurant sector. And so they maybe have seen maybe half or three quarters of their business outside booths really become affected And the really gratifying thing about booths is they've been swift to support those suppliers. And they've been swift to support them in a very practical sense of, we'll sell more of your products. We'll self-fund, so we'll put them on promotion, we'll signpost people to your product, and we'll pay for that incentive to buy them. And that's a very, very practical, it's not a handout, but it is you know, what is the problem? Graham Kirkham, as you know, the amazing cheesemaker in Lancashire, just down the road, he's somebody that we have a long, long lasting relationship with. And to hear that Mrs. Kirkham was in trouble and might not survive this was actually, you know what, what are we going to do? And so Nigel Murray picked up the phone on a Saturday morning and he said, Graham, what do you want to do? And he said, I want you to sell more cheese. And so he said, I want you to buy and sell more cheese. Very simple, very simple concept. And it's something that we're extending throughout our supply chain. We've got a relationship with Gary Apps, who who runs my fish company based in Fleetwood. And he hit 75% of his business, just shut their doors overnight. So we're offering some really great incentives to buy more fish on our fresh fish counters and to signpost those loyal customers to booths to say, you know, you might have been buying mints or you might have been buying some stuff for the freezer. How about stocking up your freezer on some fresh fish because we've got some really, really great deals there. It's a win all round. We're supporting our customer base with some great offers and we are supporting our supplier base with a bit more custom. I think as a small supplier your suppliers will just be so incredibly grateful that what you're saying to me in terms of my understanding as a supplier is that's really unusual actually for a retailer to say we'll put on promotions we'll fund it we'll sell more for you we'll buy more from you and doing that as a a support and you know that's loyalty back from the retailer to the artisan suppliers and how absolutely lovely And I guess that's the beauty of a a small guy retailer, you know, 28 stores isn't that small, but it's smaller than the big players. And that relationship that you talk about is something that I think is then bearing fruit. And hopefully the customers at the end of the day will be able to shop for more lovely things. The question that sort of comes to mind for me is about the money in the economy. And Charlotte and I were on Radio Devon yesterday, actually talking about how is it for people and there's less money, people are, you know, their jobs have gone, their businesses have gone, or certainly income has reduced. But from what I'm seeing as a hummus supplier, and actually Moorish is available in in booths, and we've seen a little bit of an increase in sales, small treats are something that people are spending a bit of money on. So a little nice snack or something nice to drink, people do seem to be taking what money they have. And that is the only way we can treat ourselves at the moment, isn't it? and buying these nice things. I wondered what you were seeing in terms of any particular areas that people are spending more money on and how that's looking financially. Well, you know, before this, 30% of our meals were taken outside the home. And now we're all at home and we're all struggling to work out how our families operate and how our schools operate and everything. And actually, I think people are sitting down round a table to a meal that is with their nearest and dearest. And that is just incredibly important. And so perhaps maybe we're taking a little bit more care in those meals. Those meals are probably becoming our form of entertainment. 
that they punctuate the day. And actually where we might have spent lots of money on a, on a natty new handbag, nobody can see it. Doesn't really matter, does it? So I think it's been, and personally, I think that this is a right prioritization. I think we've suddenly decided actually the food that we put on our table is the most important thing that we can do throughout the day. And that is a great thing. And I think it will be a long lasting change. I think that it is probably something that we will keep after this, that we have rediscovered the value of sitting around a table, not maybe rushing around, not doing all these additional activities and all of that. I've really enjoyed having four at the table. Personally, it's been great because you know, we've all shared the day and, you know, it's always been important in this household, but it somehow has been a real salvation. Things seem a bit better after a really good meal. And I should say, Jennifer, you are a very impressive home cook. You and I are both members of the Guild of Food Writers and I always see pictures of what you're putting on the table. It always looks wonderful. Well, you know, it brings a sense of achievement. I mean, you might have had a rubbish day, the technology didn't work or a video conference didn't work. But you know what? If you can rustle up a really great meal out of the, the contents of your fridge... And if you start with really good ingredients to, to, to start with, that's a real triumph, I think. I think so. And it's a way of bringing joy to, and pleasure to your day, no matter what's going on, isn't it? And Yeah, yeah, you kind of get a feeling if you've got chocolate cake in the house, everything's going to be fine, don't you? <laughs> well, I think one thing that's really interesting in relation to that and what we were just talking about is how... Booths has been using their power to support the producers who supply them and actually allowing people to find and discover and try really fantastic products. And even if you don't cook, you can find so many interesting, lovely things to buy there. And that's just something really, really special, I think, and something that really adds value in what you do. Well, Great food produced by great people and producers is really the, the DNA of booths. And we we operate a bit differently. We we want to make shopping a really great experience. And and actually I think a huge tribute to booths is they have managed, even in this pandemic, even in the idea that people are queuing into the stores and people are uneasy, that shopping is still a pleasure and people still enjoy it. And that is the testament to the range of products that we have on the shelves and the diversity of the producer. And actually that idea that we retail something a little bit special and a little bit different. So so those stories still are at the forefront. You know, we're, we're welcoming the first kind of English strawberries, you know, that are picked today. We're welcoming those on the on the shelves. And that's a really, really great opportunity. And isn't that a treat? And it's an affordable treat. Totally. And I think there's the experience of shopping as well that's really interesting because, you know, if you want to just pop in and get the bread and milk or whatever, that you can do that. But the sort of food hall experience is actually a really lovely thing. I mean, I'm a um, great lover of visiting the Lake District and that is my first stop because I don't live anywhere now in southwest England. But that's my first stop <laughs> whenever I get up to the northwest. It's always foods and it is just such a lovely experience for shopping for food. It is quite different. It is that sort of food hall feel where you can really look and enjoy everything that's displayed so beautifully. I totally agree. And being served by somebody who who knows about the food that you're you're going to eat and has an opinion on it. Our colleagues who've been on the shop front and really been there, they've looked after their local communities so well. And you know, we were very responsive about we did an emergency home delivery service and then we put that together in under a week. You know, we introduced click and collect the following week. It's the customer as well is part of our extended family and actually making sure that they're able to get the food that they need and want and those little treats safely has been really important. And every day there's a another kind of heartwarming story about somebody who's just gone that little bit 
further that extra mile just to make sure that the customer is well looked after and they get what they need. And it's very heartwarming. It's terribly old fashioned, but really marvelously, you know, maybe old fashioned is the new fashion. I think we're hearing that a lot. There is no question that this pandemic is horrific and not what anybody would have chosen and and tragic for many. But there is some of the stuff about old values coming back that we've heard time and again in the podcast from supporting artisan suppliers to people growing their own fruit and vegetables, people learning how to make sourdough and cook and sit around a table. There's a lot of that that's coming back. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see, as you say, how those things stick with us in the future absolutely so what do you think some of the lessons and learnings might be from this period i think the way we're going to shop and view food is going to be different do you have any initial thoughts i think food will be more central to our lives rather than incidental i think probably more of our wages will be spent on food rather than other experiences i think we've rediscovered home baking not just in a bake-off way, but in a legitimate long-term way. I think the ingredients to make bread, flour, you know, we've had well-publicised shortages on that. But I think people have discovered that they can make it themselves and enjoy making it themselves. And I think that that's something that will continue. I think farming will become much more important and at the forefront of our lives rather than at the margins of it. I hope we will grow to respect and value the farming community a bit more. I also think that short supply chains, direct supply chains, uncomplicated supply chains will be desired and we will want to to keep those and also streamline our business practices. And there have been so many great things that have come out and is the rediscovery of how talented the people that work at Booths and how adaptable the food industry can be. And I know that there are incredible challenges around the food service industry, but I do see very clever producers and restaurants directly communicating to change their customer base quite quickly. I think one good example is the Courtyard Dairy, which is a a cheese shop in Settle, And, you know, they really relied on a holiday trade and a trade that people coming into their shops and tasting. And it's a great experience and I can't wait to go back. But they've also been able to move that business online in a very, very swift fashion. That businesses have become quicker, swifter, really fleet of foot and say, okay, all right, yes, this is a huge problem. But you know what? We're going to respond to it. We're going to respond really quickly. And it may not be slick or pitch perfect, but we'll get it there. I think that the amazing thing is, because nobody knew this was coming or, you know, there certainly wasn't much notice and it was so swift and so almighty to see people doing that and what resourcefulness people have, you know, it's just absolutely fantastic. And also a win for the shopper to be able to get access to these things and and find new things in a way that maybe they sort of, oh, I guess we'd all got complacent, hadn't we, just getting the same old things from the same old places? I think you're absolutely spot on. And this is probably something that individuals can value as well as businesses, but a, a new resourcefulness around almost everything that we do is really probably a big takeout from this. It's actually, it's an undervalued characteristic is being resourceful and that is a a tremendous kind of way to live your life if you're if you're industrious and resourceful you'll get through just about anything and we we haven't had to do it have we we haven't been tested like this before and so you know just shows the human spirit we can be resourceful we just hadn't been asked to do so until this all happened but listen I'm really conscious of your time and I'm very thankful for your time. What would be interesting to hear from you is when you're talking about resourceful and things changing, I'm thinking homeschooling, gosh, yes, that's not something we were expecting to do. You know, all these different ways we're having to live our lives. But we do like to ask our guests at the very end what three things you would be looking forward to once we have some sort of control over the pandemic and we are less locked down and a bit more bit more free what are you looking forward to Jennifer 
Well, I'm very much looking forward to going back to London. I have some really dear and close friends and I live in a in a beautiful part of North Yorkshire and I love my country, mouse ways, but there's a tiny bit of me that is a town mouse and I miss the big smoke. I miss getting dressed up and I miss going out for a really fabulous meal with my nearest and dearest. And, you know, it's time to gather the aunties and, and go out. So really, it's three things. London, getting dressed up and going out. I think Charlotte and I would definitely concur with those, <laughs> those three. Yes, things. definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Jennifer. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear about the world of food shopping and booths and supporting artists and suppliers. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure and and keep well, everyone. Keep well, listeners and yourselves. That was great. And how interesting to hear what people are doing to keep us all fed in these strange times. Now, Jules, I'm really interested to know what's happening in your world as a food supplier this week. Can you tell us some of your industry insights you've picked up on? Yeah, I've had a few interesting stories come across my desk this week that I thought I could share. So the first one is that the John Lewis Partnership, in conjunction with the British Medical Association, are going to deliver care packages to mental health trusts across the country. Mental health trusts in the UK are under massive pressure in caring for patients at the moment, many of whom are COVID-19 positive or even have just been struggling to cope with self-isolation and that's a particular challenge of this current pandemic. These care packages are designed to ensure that healthcare staff have the supplies they need during a long shift, which I think is a great idea. And to raise funds for NHS charities together, the retailer will begin selling a limited edition China mug priced at £8, designed in-house, and that will be available online at John Lewis and in 264 Waitrose branches. All profits from the sale of the mugs will be donated. So that's good news. In pub-related news, something many people are interested in, the British Beer and Pub Association have warned that thousands of pubs could shut imminently if they don't get government support. According to The Guardian, though, England's pubs and restaurants could be given permission to sell food and drink from street stalls outside their premises in the coming weeks. But this does raise questions like how much will it cost drinkers to put these measures in place? Those costs, we are guessing, will be passed on to the customer, i.e. the drinkers. And what happens when intoxication leads to a devil-may-care attitude towards social distancing? So there's lots to think about before early July. And finally, Sainsbury's is rolling out its rapid bike delivery service, Chop Chop, to cities outside London for the first time. So I don't think it'll get to us in the sticks, Charlotte, you near Swindon, and me in the wilds of Devon, but for cities it could be good news. So once the 50-store rollout to 20 cities is completed, about 3.2 million households will be able to have groceries delivered to their door within an hour. Chop Chop launched in Brighton and Bristol on the 14th of May, with Manchester and Reading, as well as Richmond, Morden, Charlton and Haringey in Greater London to follow. By mid-June, a total of 50 stores will offer shoppers the service. Customers can order up to 20 Sainsbury's products from a tailored range of about 300 essential grocery and household items via the Chop Chop app. I do like saying Chop Chop. So there we go. That's the latest from the news. Thanks, Jules. Great insights as always. So on to our listener questions for this week. What do people want to know? Well, unsurprisingly, people would like to know how they can make bread without yeast. That's something I've been doing. But give us your expert view, Charlotte. How can they do that? Yeah, well, so many people are turning to bread making for the first time at the moment. I have two suggestions for you. The first thing is a flatbread. So flatbreads are really easy. They don't need a raising agent, although you can add one if you like. These are made generally with flour, water, oil, possibly some yogurt and mixed together. So these could be maybe Middle Eastern flatbreads, parata, naan, lots of Indian breads. And they're really easy to do and just require no yeast and a plain flour to mix together. So really, really easy. And also, if you're new to bread making, great place to start. Secondly, you could try a soda bread. Now, I am a big fan of soda bread. Um, I spent a lot of time in Ireland and it's 
a real staple there and I just love it. So that is also made with plain flour, but you can also get soda bread flours in Ireland. We don't find them so much over here in GB for sale. It's something I always stock up on when I'm over. But you just add bicarbonate of soda or bread soda and milk to that. So that's a really, really easy one. And of course, it doesn't really need to be kneaded or proved. So it's really quick as well to make a loaf from scratch. Did you know that in Northern Ireland, where I'm from, we actually call that wheaten bread? It always yes. surprises me. It surprises me. Well, you'll know because you've spent time in Ireland. It surprises me that you English people call it soda bread when it's it's not it's wheaten bread (laughs) yeah that's really interesting and I often find tell me if I'm wrong but I found that the wheaten I've had in Northern Ireland is quite different to a lot of soda that I've had in Republic of Ireland because it has things like treacle in it as well which gives it that darker color would you say that's similar to your experiences I would indeed it is a darker color but it is absolutely delicious and it's giving me a hankering for some right now it's lunchtime so I'd love a slice of wheaten bread sadly I don't have any maybe I shall have to go off and make some one of my Uh, favorites (laughs) the other question we've had is about preserves and actually I bought a gooseberry bush last week there we go have you got any ideas for preserves that can be made during lockdown Charlotte Yes, I have. And actually, funnily enough, I have just been into the garden and I've seen my first gooseberries emerging on my bushes. Ah. So teeny tiny gooseberries, but it's so exciting to see them come along. And they actually are one of my favourite summer fruits and they work fantastically in all sorts of jams or even fruit compote. I also like a gooseberry fool as well, which is such a delicious pudding. Anyway, I digress. A couple of suggestions for you. At the moment, if you're able to get out, you will see that elderflower is at its very best at the moment. It's bursting out all over the hedgerows and you can find it in towns as well as in the countryside. Now, these heads of elderflower are absolutely lovely. You can pick them I always take a pair of secateurs out with me. Make sure that you are picking them from trees rather than verges because some people can confuse it with cow parsley. But elderflowers can be made into cordial, which is lovely, just with some lemon, some sugar and some citric acid to help it preserve. And it also works really nicely in vinegar. Tomatoes are getting really good at the moment. So tomato chutney is a really nice thing to make and a very, very versatile thing to have in the cupboard. And also the summer fruits are getting rather good. So strawberries and raspberries, for example, are amazing in jams and compots. We're also seeing a lot of rhubarb at the moment. I mean, this is garden rhubarb, which is much more green in colour than the forced rhubarb that comes in earlier in the year, January and February. But that makes a lovely jam. You will notice it's a bit green in colour, but that's delicious with some stem ginger in there as a jam. So a few ideas for some preserves you can be making it. Oh, I really am hungry. So some wheaten bread with rhubarb jam, which is what I often have when I go back to Northern Ireland, that would go down so well right now. Amazing. Well, that was great. Thank you, Charlotte. And thank you to all our fabulous guests and lovely listeners. Remember, we have a really useful website where you can find out which shops are open when and for whom, and also which fantastic artisan food and drink suppliers are delivering to our homes. The website address is pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So thanks again, lovely listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to talking to you again next week. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious Moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways, just head to our website and look in the competition section. The website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week.